Hina Mystery, and you're listening to Deliberations on Diaspora, a podcast on global diaspora history. This podcast was created by the students of History 404, Themes in Diaspora History at Queen's University in Canada. This course addresses themes such as mobility, borders, citizenship, displaced peoples, race, and labor. Students were assigned topics and sources related to diaspora culture and identity and had to speak about them. I wanted to thank the Department of History at Queen's for their support and funding, as well as CFRC, the campus radio station. The music for this podcast was provided by Erez Zobari, and the song is entitled The Fig Tree. The green summer's gone, will you go on? Hi, this is Nathan Henry and Olivier, and we'll be talking today about uh, the topic Bunny Chow, which is a South African curry dish with Indian origins. And so, before we talk, before we start talking about Bunny Chow, I think it's important to discuss the origins of food mobility, because a lot of it, because this topic has a lot to do with the Bunny Chow itself. So, with the origins of food, food mobility, we can trace it back to the Columbia Exchange, where many food items came from the Americas to what we now know as the Old World, uh, Europe, India, and Asia. They brought over products such as corn, potatoes, chilies, and many of these products, uh, tomatoes, and many, and many of these products we now see in a lot of ethnic cooking in Europe, in the Africa, and especially in India, where tomatoes, chili peppers, which Indians are famously, uh, famously known for, uh, their spicy curry dishes, and a tom- a potatoes are all used traditionally in uh, Indian ethnic cooking. And so from that, we could kind of trace back the origins of, yeah, of food mobility and see how like food mobility really started on at an early age. Um, and so with food mobility, there also moves around ideas, identities, culture identities. These aspects of someone's identity also moves around with a person. And it's important to define the differences between simply a movement of ideas and product and a movement of cultural identity. And so... Before we start talking more about Bunny Chow, it's important to redefine the terms of transcultural diffusion and what we're we're gonna talk today as a cultural th- a cultural synthesis. And transcultural diffusion is different than cultural th- what we know as cultural th- synthesis. Is that cultural diffusion is just simply the movement of a product, while cultural synthesis is the movement of a product, and then the acclimatization of the product in the ethnic uh, area or region. And so, starting around the 19th century, around 100 million people moved around globally, often to find work, or were forced out by colonial powers, and around 50 million of those were uh, non-European or, or non-whites, mainly coming from Africa, India, and Asia, and often moving to uh, colonial or um, imperial colonies. And with them, they not only brought their cultural identity, but also their food. Um, and so, 
what they eat and under what, con under what conditions they eat greatly affects the type of food they bring over, and that is in itself what Bunny Chow is. Uh, bunny Chow is it is it is a South African dish, but it comes from it has its origins in India and is both brought over originally by uh, Indian uh, workers to South Africa, and I think. Uh, Henry could have more to explain upon this. Absolutely. So, um, what I'm going to talk about next is like how um, how uh, bunny chow, uh, how bunny chow was originally originally an Indian dish that was uh, that was altered to fit the local circumstances as well as that of the um, as well as that of the worker situations to uh, fit better to that of the Indian not only the Indian community in Durban but also that of the greater rest of the uh, greater rest of the ethnic minorities in uh, Durban South Africa so South Africa has a long tradition of curry style dish with those in KwaZulu Natal having a longer tradition than that in Britain brought by the indentured and indentured la uh, Indian labor uh, in 19th century, curry became a widely popular dish in South Africa, but, is, uh, but this was most notably so in Durban, one of the most, if not the most, ethnically diverse cities in South Africa. While some alterations were required, replic replicating home and the food was not only possible, but was also enabled and enriched further by the opportunities the bustling Durban society had provided. The markets of, the uh, the markets of Durban were filled with uh, those of uh, well filled with those of the merchants who came from not just that of uh, that of the african and indian uh, backgrounds but uh, uh, but they had also come into uh, smaller sub uh, sub communities where they all gathered together and you would be able to find indian uh, merchant an indian merchant uh, seated or standing, uh, s sat right next to that of his uh, Afri uh, South African counterpart, whether one be Khosa or uh, Zulu, part of my presen uh, presentation of the pronunciation in advance. Um, but they were also, uh, but they were always doing uh, doing such in harmony, which was kind of uh, harmony and um, coexistent. Coexistence, which was kind of, uh, which was kind of um, inter interesting, especially in the times of the apartheid that this was first introduced. So um, this continues well into the present times of Durban in two thousands, and we have uh, we have one of the most exciting, economically pro prosperous, and also most economically pro uh, promising cities in South Africa and also the Africas with Durban in this time. So now let's go into a little bit further about the eating culture and the background of Bunny Chow. According to John Waldrop in his paper, Private Cooking, Public Eating, Women's uh, Street Vendors in South Durban, unique eating culture was a result of such availability of food sources given by the diverse environment they are lived under, where street mealies would vary from factory workers to anglophone businessmen in Mobeni and Zulu, uh, and where Zulu women would provide curry to their main men. This is kind of like different from what we would imagine in terms of segregation that we would, uh, we, would, we have come to ima imagine and ingrain in our minds of the segregation in South Africa. So this was more, uh, this was in some ways serving as more of a method 
of resistance as well. Of course, the circumstances of the formative years of Bani Chao had meant that there would have to be changes made to the curry. This was most evident in the use of bread and the handheld dish and nature of the dish, which dates all the way back to the apartheid years of South Africa. Bani Chao was first invented in a restaurant cafe, similar to what we have in some pubs and bars here in Kingston, Ontario. Think of it like、uh, Tommy's, for example. Named Capitans on the intersection of Victoria and Albert Streets in Durban. When it was first introduced, there were two major problems. However, to this popular dish's invention, a the Indian caddies and other、uh, laborers in the Indian and African communities did not necessarily have enough time off to go to Capitans during lunch hours, and b the Africans were、uh, not not allowed to enter the restaurant. Given the circumstances of its time with the apartheid, the first problem was solved by hollowing the loaf of bread,、uh, presenting a form of handheld dish with curry and be- beans inside. While the traditional Indian meal was roti and, bin,、uh, and beans, there had to be adjustments made. This was especially important as the, as for most workers frequently sighting si- the、uh, frequently visiting the site. Whether they be in the cane fields or the Royal Durban, of course, they did not necessarily have the disposable food containers back then. So they had to solve this problem by、uh, hollowing out the bread in the middle so that they could carry it and、um, quickly consume it、um, during their lunch hours. Think of it like.、Uh, Think of it like how how I should say it.、Um, let's say、uh, hamburgers and、uh, fries, but even tastier. Personally,、uh, personally, I、uh, I've come to appreciate such、um, while I was growing up as a teenager in South Korea and Australia, and those thi-、uh, those things have co-、uh, those things do op-、uh, associate closely to my heart as a result. Now, as for the part B, the direct problem brought by apartheid, it was solved by selling takeaways by the pavements under their manager Vanya. It is a like. Possibility, according to many people and academic sources, that this may have been where the name originated. Though debates remain on its epistemology, it it comes from、uh, it comes from various source,、uh, sources on where they were debating about. One of them was about、uh, about the beans, other was about banya.、Um, And while、uh, while we do not know ex- the exact origins of this bunny chow, like none,、uh, re- what? The names' origins do not matter as much as the fact that people contribute.、Uh, people contribute from all facets of the society. In the meanwhile, according to in street foods around the world, an encyclopedia of food and culture by Craig and Ta-、uh, Taylorson, we may find two other arguments to this as well. First is that traditionally Indians do not eat with cutlery. But on the second, on a more culturally intriguing theory for、uh, many those who are interested in the history of South Africa as well as that of the apartheid, is that during the years of unofficial seg- unofficial segregation under British rules and the official segregation under apartheid、uh, by the Boer governments of South Africa in the old days,、uh, the Indian caddies in country clubs, especially the Royal Durban Country Club, were not allowed to bring their own cutlery. Why、uh, many reasons can be explained, and they all, they go all the way back to the racialized fear of ethnic minorities against the、uh, against that of their、um, colonized、uh, colonized masters. In that, we could also find bunny chow to be more than just their attempt to replace the curry and roti back home, especially as roti were、uh, roti were easy to be crushed and not so reliable、um, to be carried. And also shows how the historical circumstances and local situations affect diasporas and their visions of homeland, more、um, either in positive or negative, but overall in reaching ways.
Well, you're you're right about that, and in fact, it's kind of odd, but this dish, this takeaway, this curry in a bread loaf, which incidentally sounds yummy, and the, I wonder why there's no way to get it over here, is actually uh, basically a microcosm for a lot of the diaspora history themes that we've discussed in class. Let's start with the fact, the obvious fact, the people that created this dish, the Indian diaspora in Durban, in South Africa as a whole, but their population was mostly concentrated in Durban, uh, as that's where um, there was the most uh, agricultural and industrial expansion opportunities during the latter half of the uh, 1800s and the first half of the 1900s. It was basically a boom town. Well, the Indian diaspora there was... They, they weren't slaves, they weren't forced to move there or anything, but we do see the phenomenon of the empire as as mover at work there, the empire in this case being the British Empire, because, well, the British Empire held possession, of course, as is well known, of both South Africa and India, and then um, there, India obviously had and still has the larger population, so there was lots of people there, laborers essentially, um, from the, especially considering back then they still strictly adhered to the caste system, so you had many lower caste laborers um, and other economically disadvantaged people that needed to go elsewhere to um, find not their fortune, because under a colonial regime, the minorities and or governed people can't really find their fortune, but find more prosperity, so that's why they came to South Africa, specifically to Durban, to work as sugarcane field laborers. And as Henry was saying, creating that dish specifically was more than just a convenience, although that was probably the original intent. It was also an act uh, of racial resistance. As uh, we in some of the first weeks of our course, when we read the uh, Gilroy piece on uh, racial regimes and uh, whatever citizenship and race as part of a um, key element of a diaspora formation, we also talked about um, how these groups, these newfound diaspora groups often resisted the um, established social order and doing that, creating, having Indians recreate food from home, well, or as close an approximation as they could without, you know, without their ingredients and everything, being able to create something that reminded them of home and at the same time they served it, uh, as Henry mentioned, they served it to black people uh, in South Africa as well, uh, Indians and blacks being the two biggest minority, well, not minority group, but um, ethnic groups there, apart from the uh, white British and later white South African groups. So that in and of itself, this dish from home that was given out to um, persecuted groups constitutes a fairly big act of resistance in and of itself. And it's also important in the production of their identity. Uh, If you read online on you know, bunny, if you search either Bunny Chow or Durban Indian Diaspora online, you'll inevitably find links to both. It became sort of like how now um, pizza is invariably linked to Italian-Americans, well, pizza in the style that we know and enjoy here, at least. It became, like, part of them. And if we hearken all the way back to the second week of this seminar, when we read the Hall piece about uh, production of identity, that's exactly what happens. Then they took something that was culturally and, you know, in spirit Indian and blended it with um, things that were available in South Africa, but also that would fit the South African palate as well. It's not just, this isn't like a niche dish that only people 
sorry, only people of that ethnic background enjoy. You go to South Africa and it's as common, like, food trucks and, like, snack shacks that serve bunny chow are as common as you could get, like, a putzin or a hot dog or some fries here. So it became part of their identity. It became, like, a standout marker to distinguish them as a diasporic group, specifically as an Indian group in the South African environment. It distinguished them from... Uh, the people back in their homeland and from the other rather large Indian uh, diaspora groups that spread out throughout the British Empire in England itself and in other possessions. So it's an example, it's a prime example of a, essentially, of a transnational movement, not just of these people, but a transformation movement of their culture. And it does also, in a way, impact traditional and like iconic depictions of diaspora as we've challenged in class before because it's while of course the racial situation on the ground was unequal and such there was no these people weren't moved by some great disaster or anything they were economic migrants they came there they stayed and they prospered and they made quite their mark on the like local cultural um framework and to talk about overall here we'll shoot shoot it back to Nathan here to talk overall about the uh, immigrant experience to and in Durban. Yeah, thanks, Olivier. Um, so, as we now have established in this podcast, the uh, bunny chow is more than just a food. It is an essential part of South African Durban community identity. And so, bunny chow represents more than... Yeah, than just food. It is an overarching themes of mobility, of diaspora, of identity. It is a culmination of all of these things. And so we know that food is central to our sense of cultural identity. It is you know, it is more than just like nutrient, it's more than just what we eat or something to sustain us. It is centered to our identity. And as we know the Identities are not fixed social constructs. They could be reconstructed or deconstructed, reclaimed and, uh, and forgotten. And because of this, this, ref- this highly reflects what Bunny Chow is. It is a synthesis, a, uh, a culmination, a blend of cultures and identity. Uh, in this age of globalization, uh, heritage food identity is something that many people are trying to reclaim. Many people of ethnic origin and identity is trying to reclaim. And in this and, and in this uh, class, we have studied extremely about this sense of identity and the sense of uh, longing and the, and the sense of homeland. And again, this is this is exactly what, what Bunny Chow is. And so, despite the somewhat cultural fusion, the identity and most important, the, the, uh, most importantly the food of a people is a unique product of both the homeland and the host nation. Bunny Chow is something that is uniquely South African but at the same time uniquely Indian. It is not, 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 it is not one or the other and it's something that people from both heritages of both, from both backgrounds and both nationalities, it's something that they both can enjoy. It is a blend of cultures and identity, and bunny chow as a food and as an idea is a reflection of this cultural synthesis. And I'd like to end this today 
to think about what type of foods that can you think of that are similar to bunny chow in this way. We could see throughout Kingston or throughout Toronto, throughout the world, that there are many other foods that are similar to bunny chow. You have uh, Caribbean roti as an example. You have um, Italian-American spaghetti and meatballs. There are many foods in the, wor- in the world that share the same experiences, share the same identity as Bunny Chow, and represent that same identity and same cultural uh, importance to those people as Bunny Chow is to the South African Durban community. I'd like to thank you all for listening today. And from Nathan, Olivier, and Henry, uh, we're signing off. Thanks. This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.